Hey folks, uh, back here uh, with little tidbits. Wanted to check in. It's been a while. And for that, I apologize. Um, right off the top of our forget, big hat tip to Matt for uh, recommending today's um, topic that has inspired me uh, to do this. Uh, that will be more in the second half of this very short show. And um, also a big shout out to the uh, couple dozen people who... Uh, Gave me such positive feedback for the first episode. So today, um, I guess the logical place to start is uh, an update or maybe even, in a way, a post-mortem on uh, the president's and this administration's handling of the pandemic. Um, I told you so. (laughs) Um, You know, I said when I recorded the um, pilot episode of this program that it looked like the president's handling of the pandemic was going to be disastrous um, and that his lies about how well he had handled it uh, would be um, unassailably, uh, you know, would would be definitively shown to be lies, that, that there would be no arguing it. And of course, like everything else that happens in this country since 2016, so for four years, every single thing that happens in the world uh, is subsumed into the culture war. Uh, Everything is uh, partisanship. Partisanship is everything. And the president's Twitter feed has consumed us all. We have all become enveloped uh, into the feed, right? Um, You know, the the cycle is 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 it's disturbing, it's ugly, it's exhausting, it's stressful. Um, It's also very stupid. It's so stupid. You know, I, I, I know I'm not the first person to make this point, but we really do live in just the dumbest possible timeline. You know, Leibniz is the best of all possible worlds. We live in the dumbest of all possible worlds. I mean, this is just... The cycle is uh, familiar. The president gets mad at something that is on television usually something that's critical of him or one of his allies. Usually just him, actually. He doesn't mind so much if you're critical of his allies, as long as you're nice to him. So the president watches television all day long. He watches like 14 hours of TV or something uh, a day. Um, He gets mad about what he sees on television, and he tweets about it. Those tweets then have to be, even if they're irrational, and even if they're based on nothing but the president's deep, amorphous aggrievement. And no facts, and they're not relevant to anything of any importance, or if they're incredibly relevant and deeply important, and of, you know, cataclysmic importance, right? Like a pandemic. The, the whole gamut of everything, from, from entirely unimportant to the most important things in the world at this moment, right? The president's allies and defenders 
have to go and defend whatever insane things that he has tweeted. The media, which both loves and hates him, mostly mostly loves because he has uh, driven their viewership and ratings up, uh, you know, higher in a way that they probably never would have imagined. I mean, our old media was all dying, not just the print media, but even online blogs and, and uh, of course, uh, cable news television, my God, was, was dead in the water. CNN was getting, you know, what, 60,000 viewers for like Wolf Blitzer, you know, in 2014 or something. I mean, it's just it's dying, totally dead. And he's he's revived it. So so they love him, but they also hate him because he's you know they're all libs and 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 he 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 is the trigger of the libs president. So anyway, the media uh, then uh, has to um, in their extremely both sides and polite way they go on the attack. Right? They they find sources within his administration who will give them anonymous quotes uh, criticizing the tweet. Right. And then, um, you know, um, it just it, and it doesn't matter what the subject is. It's, it's, it's content neutral. The cycle is identical no matter what the subject is. Right. So it's as it can be as mundane and silly as the Oscars or a, a People magazine's uh, person of the year. Right. Uh, or it can be a pandemic. So anyway, um, I, I I know you're all familiar with this, and I and I and I do understand that the ripples of each of those cycles goes through many 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 different variations before it reaches us. Right? It goes, it it, it vibrates throughout the entire online ecosphere. Um, entire memes are created and destroyed and one upped. Uh, political cartoons are written, um, you know, t- hundreds of thousands of podcasts like this one are recorded uh, each time, each time, all the time, right? It's all endless, it's perpetual, and um, mostly it's exhausting. The reason I bring that that up is it's it's always important to keep in mind that uh, uh, several facts about the the way things are and the way they've been for four years and and I don't know when this will end or if it will ever end uh, and I don't know what is the cause of this. I suspect the internet has somehow broken our brains and that we were not we we have not evolved to handle the way that it is destroying us. There were some polls recently about. Um, conspiratorial thinking and like the percentage of people who believe in, in various different uh, conspiracy theories. And it's really disturbing. It's really disturbing. I think the, I believe the internet has broken us in some way, some fundamental way. And this um, perpetual outrage cycle um, that the president always kicks off and, and kicks it off into new directions all the time. Um, is a, a uh, both a uh, product of that and also is an, an accelerant, and, and that that's the same thing you would say more broadly. You know, just to make the larger point, in case it's not clear, you know, I'm I am making a larger point about the president. 
he is the product of the social media age, the internet age. Of course he is. Uh, but he's also an accelerant. You know, he has brought his own paranoia and uh, his um, obtuseness about facts. He doesn't care about facts. Facts don't matter. It's irrelevant. This is not the facts age. This is... This was supposed to be the information age. It turns out it's the disinformation age, right? The facts do not actually matter. What matters is, can I get a message out there that will trigger people, right? We have to trigger the other side. We have to. We have to trigger our base into action. And and we have to generate heat. It's all been kind of multiplied and uh, and the cycle has has really really taken on new levels here during this pandemic. You know, you would have thought that maybe a global pandemic, which the United States has handled worse than I suppose any other country, it seems like it. Um, you would have thought that that maybe would be something, a la you know nine eleven or or you know similar to maybe the Second World War, these big events that. Uh, cause us all across the partisan divide and across class and race and age and everything, um, you, you would think maybe that would be big enough to cause us to come together. It wasn't, you know, it was subsumed into the culture war like everything else. So exhausting there and, um, you know, smarter people than I and, and, and people who are more on the ball than I, you can certainly find Lots of examples. People have uh, uh, put together uh, pretty definitive um, articles that show, you know, all the myriad ways that this president has failed. And uh, I, I certainly do agree with those saying that, um, you know, his the, the the way that he has acted throughout this pandemic is an impeachable offense. Of course, it is. It's obviously a dereliction of duty. Um, you know. Impeachment is a political tool that exists at the, you know, is 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 a power that is granted under the Constitution by, uh, to uh, the Congress, uh, for the purpose of removing a president who is uh, unable or unwilling to execute the duties of his office and uh, and his oath. This president has shown repeatedly that he is unwilling and unable. I think both uh, of doing that, and so. Um, yeah, he should be removed. Um, he, as far as criminal prosecution, no, I don't. That's too far. Um, you know, he, he, does he have blood on his hands from a, a moral point of view? I would say yes, but not legally. Come on, it's silly. Okay, so um, now that we're all caught up with the pandemic, uh, onto uh, Matt's uh, wonderful suggestion of. Um, we we I wanted to talk a little bit about the Constitution on this program, which sounds boring, but but I'm going to try and do it in a way that's that's relevant. And I I was trying to think of of what I can add to the national discussion if if there is anything I can add at all. Um, and I think it's just a little bit of context. So our Constitution, of course, uh, is hundreds of years old, and it was written in a time when ninety percent of Americans were yeoman farmers. Uh, that's it, that is to say, 90% of American citizens. 
Uh, at the time, to be a citizen, you had to be white and a landowner and a male. Um, you know, it's a, it's uh, there were no cars or computers or uh, vaccines or um, it's just a totally different world, right? So there's 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 very 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 few things that an American person living in 1781 would have in common with an American person now. You know, um, obviously the geography and the language, um, although they're, they, they spoke, the way they spoke would have sounded very formal to us. But, uh, okay, yeah, the same language, yeah. Uh, and that's about it, because they're the, even you might you might think they would have the same kind of nationalistic or patriotic uh, fervor and uh, identity, uh, but I don't think that's true. So much of our uh, here in the year two thousand twenty, so much of our patriotism uh, is really new stuff. It's 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 really in the last hundred years. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt kind of started. Um, this uh, view of Americans, uh, the way that that uh, that we kind of view ourselves, this American exceptionalism, you know, that really, uh, really was it. It's not invented by uh, Teddy Roosevelt, but he was the the big uh, push forward for that kind of view, and then it got ratcheted up to an out, almost outlandish extreme uh, during the Second World War in the mid part of the 20th century and through the 50s and 60s. And so and so by the time you get to like say 19, you know, 60 or something, you know, the the view of America as the greatest country in the history of the world and the only country that's ever done anything good and and will ever be any good or any use to anybody. It's uh that is a lot different <laughs> than somebody in in, in 1781 might have felt about it. You know, they, 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 they viewed it as an experiment. They thought it was a really cool experiment. They were very proud to be part of the experiment. Uh, but they didn't have some view that America is the only good place. I mean, that, that, you know, that's new. So the, there's, there's very, very few things you might have in common with these people. And so the, uh, when, when, when I bring up the Constitution, the first question that ought to come in anyone's mind, if we're being logical, is, okay, the country itself and the people have changed so much that they're vir- virtually unrecognizable. It is, every single thing about them has changed. Why are we still using the same document? And the answer, of course, is that because you, know, you have to have a it's a constitutional republic you have to have a, a a document that outlines and and governs um wh- what actions each uh entity can take right it delineates power and so you know um if we had a a dictatorship an absolute monarchy for example uh there wouldn't be a constitution you don't need one because a constitution tells you all right here are the things you can do and here are the things you can't do. And then there's like gray stuff in the middle area that's murky and we can argue about it and we parse the Constitution to see where we think it should fall, you know. Absolute monarchy, there's nothing you can't do. So you don't need that document. You just tear it up, throw it out. Okay, good. We're together on this. So the Constitution 
hasn't really changed. We've added a, amendments to the end, but, but the rest of it's been left the same. Hasn't really changed. But we and our country and everything about us has totally changed. And so the analogy that Matt thought of, which I thought is great, is the ship of Theseus. You know, the, the ship of Theseus is a, um, a, a thought experiment or a paradox uh, that was, um, you, you probably, if you remember it at all from, from school, you might have uh, come across it in Plato or in Plutarch, but actually I think it's, um, I believe it predates Plato and goes back to Heraclitus, one of the pre-Socratics. I believe that's right. Um, the thought experiment is this. Uh, let's say you have this great ship, famous ship, ship of Theseus. And uh, the, the ship is, uh, is such a badass ship that it survives for a really, really long time and does, goes to, to, does all these adventures and sails and goes around. And, and over time, each piece of wood, each board on the ship, over a very long period of time, let's say you know, dozens or hundreds of years, right, gets replaced eventually, you know. So you don't replace them all at once, but, but each one gets replaced over a very, very long period of time. The thought experiment, the paradox is, is it the same ship? Heraclitus, um, you know, kind of concludes uh, that it isn't. You know, he has an analogy. He says that no man steps in the same river twice. Got to think for a second what he means. Okay, step in the river, step out, step in again is the same river. Well, it sure looks like it's the same river. It's in the same spot, but it's different water, isn't it? So, you know, it look, it, it, like any thought experiment or paradox, there is no real answer, but, you know, uh, it's useful to think about, and it gets us thinking about the nature of things, right? That's what, that's what philosophy is supposed to be. And in this case, I hope it can get us to think a little bit about the Constitution. You know, the Constitution hasn't changed. Everything that it governs has. Is it still relevant? Could it even possibly still work? Can we even write ourselves a story in which it still works? Does it even make sense? You know, I'm not interested in, in scrapping it. I think it has a lot of use and merit. I'm very um, moved by the... Uh, the Bill of Rights, certainly, um, and, and also the, uh, the document itself. It's, it, it is a, an extraordinary historical document. It was an absolutely groundbreaking, earth-shattering enumeration of individual rights that had never been done before, really. Not like that. And almost, you know, so, so many of the countries, I, I probably, I'm guessing over 100 countries around the world, have since modeled their constitution after ours. So it's a document to be very proud of, and, and it is not a document to be thrown out or, or dismissed or taken lightly. It is, however, a document that is ripe for change. Either changing the document itself, which would be my preference, I think maybe making it a little bit easier to have amendments. Right now, it's hard to even imagine an amendment passing, honestly, because of the, the hyper-partisanship in our country. You just can't imagine having that many people agree on anything. We don't even have that many people agree that we shouldn't 
recklessly endanger the lives of immunocompromised and elderly people. Um, we we don't that many people don't agree on anything, you know. Um, but if we can't if we can't change it, which I'm fine with, I think that makes sense. You want to say we we mustn't change it? Okay, okay. Well, we have to be open to different interpretations of it. All the wood on this ship has changed. It's all been switched out. And we're still operating as if it's the old wood. It doesn't work. Uh, that analogy was imperfect, but you know what I mean. Uh, so anyway, uh, some food for thought as we uh, careen towards uh, economic collapse and the second Great Depression of our nation's history. Um, I hope that you are all staying safe. I hope that my disconnected and silly thoughts were at least of some use to you. And I do hope uh, that you are able to um, come through this pandemic with some measure of sanity uh, and stability still in your life. I do not know if I will have either of those things either, but we're going to try. We are in this together as much as possible. I recommend trying to reach across the partisan divide. There are lots of people who you cannot reach, but there are some that you can. Um, it won't be done with snarky posts online. This podcast isn't doing anything for it. But, you know, if you have an, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, you can try to find areas of agreement. It's gotten tougher because we don't know the same things. We don't actually get our information from the same sources, and so we do not know the same data points from which to have a discussion. Um, as soon as you disagree, you instantly attack each other's sources, and then the discussion is over. There is nothing else to say. But uh, we can try to get around this as much as possible. Uh, I don't have a solution. I think ultimately, perhaps, um, this is just going to have to be the way things are for the next couple of decades. I do not really see it ending. Someday, perhaps, we will figure out a better way to use this very powerful technology that we have called the internet. But until we do, uh, we are all uh, entirely um, <laughs> divided. <laughs> We're just so divided. All right, guys, stay safe.